If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. And Yenamso, number one and two, are twin farming communities recently taken over by mining in the Achumangwabiaja district of Ashanti. The entire river belt of the river Enyinam has been taken over and destroyed by illegal miners even as the government's operation halt fights mining close to water bodies across the country. So this is what remains of the river Enyinam. It has been stopped right here and the miners are now digging deep within the riverbed itself. And so it is denying farmers here water to one water their uh, crops and even use it uh, to spray their cocoa farms. And as you can see, the river bed has been blocked here. And so definitely when it starts raining, there's going to be a huge overflow which will destroy their cocoa farms over to the other side. Cocoa farms are bought by miners for between 10,000 and 25,000 cities. Those who will not sell, like Boache Mensa, sometimes find themselves cut out from their farms by the miners. <laughs> They are frustrating us to force us to sell our farms, but we won't, because it's a legacy for us and our children's children. Some farmers are incensed with illegal mining activities here. We are appealing to government. The Chinese are destroying cocoa farms. Every mined area here used to be a cocoa farm. That could have served our country well. But some of the miners claim they are operating legitimately, even in the middle of the river. Thomas Arthur claims he works for a licensed mining company. This is a small-scale mining site awarded to Nayak by the Minerals Commission, and we are working with them. It extends to Kukubiso and Okradada. For the destruction to the river, we came to meet it. Close to the main Nkariye Bebiani Road, miners are busily digging close to the asphalt. Also, Within the Enyinamso number two township, some Chinese miners are boldly mining away with huge equipment. Until the government intervenes, farmers and cocoa farms are at great risk of mining. Reporting for Joy News, Erastus Asaridonko, Enyinamso, Ashanti region. So... What you see, I'm sure that you have seen even more 
horrendous pictures, very frightening footages about what Galamse is doing to our dear country. You have seen footages and pictures where the Galamse is going on right in the middle of communities where residences are. They dig and dig even to the compounds of these homes and right behind the homes. You see danger lurking. We will begin by going to the phone lines to speak to our Western North Regional Correspondent, Augustine Boer, who's been reporting from for Adum Boa, Augustine Boa, who has been reporting for um, Adum FM. Augustine, thank you very much for making time to join us this morning. Good morning. Right. Right. So, Augustine, tell us about the situation in this particular area where this week people have been angered, livid, irritated by the pictures they have seen, the footages they have seen on television where the mining is going on right in the middle of compounds, all right, um, around the Lobo area. Tell us what is going on. And we hear about the protest of the residents, but they are not getting the support of community leaders the way they ought to, not the police, not the Environmental Protection Authority, and the rest of them. Give us a picture of what the situation is at this place. Well, Sansi, thank you. I'm talking about a liberal community where we've seen pictures trending on various social media platforms. It is quite um, disturbing. And um, Sansi, when you come to Jaboso district, uh, a Lubu, as we've seen on the social media, is not the only place um, the illegal mining is ongoing. Elubo is not far from Jaboso, the district capital. Like I would say, 50 minutes drive from Jaboso, the district capital, to the community. And uh, it is not just a community like we say in the bush. It is near the road where the DC, the district chief executive, passes almost every day to work. And then the district NADMU director, uh, Mr. Augustine Kroma, the Lubu community is where he lives, where he was born and grown up. And the chiefs, the residents, they live there, know that they are clearing the place for a different purpose. But they have seen that where they live there is good there. So definitely they have to mine it and do it, they use it for their own purposes. Something talking about Galamse in the Lubu and Jaboso district, it is it is very obvious to say that in the district which is the Jaboso township, the activity is ongoing. The residents have been protesting, saying a lot of taking a lot of actions against 
the activity, but but it yields no results. So it's like the residents they are doing their part to stop these illegal activities, but the authorities to intervene, to speak, to calm those people down. Something we don't see those acts. So the um, the illegal mining activity keeps on going in the Jaboso district. Mm. But but we have seen that the the activities are going on right in the compounds of homes. What are those who live in these you know uh, homes uh, houses? What what are they saying? Are they just watching, or they are actually also culpable? Yes, they are not just watching as we can say, but they don't have that power to stop those mining in the community. When they try or do any attempt to stop them, the miners will tell them that they have the the lances or whatever. So stopping them just by mouth something, it has become very difficult for, for the people living over there. They've tried their best, the chiefs, the assemblyman, and the residents. But still, so what is it? What is it that they have done that you describe as they haven't tried their best? Yes, according to the resident, they've reported to the Jaboso District Police Commander, uh, Chief Superintendent Samuel Tosso, the Jaboso District Assembly. Voice, um, Honorable Governor Kamleja Sante is the district chief executive, and uh, the national security coordinator, uh, Kwame Kento, and other stakeholders. But the activity keeps on going in the community, right in the middle of the community. But we can see some of them obviously losing their homes, and and you say they they seem powerless. Yes. And something, as we're talking about Galam said, most of their residents, they give their land to these illegal miners. So if, assuming I'm the owner of the land, and I've landed the, the portion of the land to the illegal miners, you see, the chief, in that way, has no authority to stop them, unless the landowner. So mostly the residents, they give their land to, the, to these illegal miners to operate so the local community, some have given their land to these illegal miners. And the miners, too, they have a certain power backing them. So nobody can stop them just like that. So the, the police, the environmental protection, uh, forestry officials, uh, whoever they are around the place, um, and also, as you say, the chiefs may say they are powerless, but... Is that really true? Um, what are these other duty bearers? What are they doing? What are they saying, at least? Something. Since there is, the, the, the operation is ongoing, we can say for the fact that they've, they've done nothing to stop this illegal activity. Because if they have done something, I'm sure by now the activities have been stopped. All right. Before you take leave of us, give us a picture of these communities in Elobo, what you see when you go there. Um, and we were supposed to have you there this morning to report right from the scene of uh, these uh, devastation. 
but we understand that um, we need you alive, and that's the reason you will not be there. But you have been there before. Tell us what you have seen there. Yeah, right now when you go to the community, if that some big hose stand in the presence of the compound, back of their houses, so you can see a crack in their building, almost about two thirds of 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 the buildings around uh, at Fort now, because due to the activity ongoing. Um, the community is not a good standing. Talking about the, the um, topographic system of, of the community, it is quite devastating, as we can say. So it is not good for working at night, children roaming around, and strangers, you know, walking around in the community, either day or at night. All right. Thank you very much. And um, please take care, Augustine. Uh, Boa is Adum correspondent in the Western North uh, region. Um, he has been to the, the scenes that you have seen in the course of this week, particularly on social media and on some television stations, the footage that you have seen about Galamse going on right in the compounds of homes. And you see some of the buildings, they become death traps. Um, he has been there, he has seen them, but unfortunately this morning um, he's unable uh, to return to that place because uh, for very obvious reasons. The people who are into these activities, illegal activities, um, have turned themselves into some militia of sorts and they wield gun power that, if you are not careful, they deal with you. Um, thank you for joining us. This is News File. It's our um, exclusive edition on the Galamse menace that the country has been trying to fight. And uh, this uh, photograph is um, Ketsi uh, Professor Gladys uh, Ansa Yakon. Uh, you you would recognize that they from the University of Ghana together with is it York University have been doing some uh, investigations and she joined us last week and told us how farmers are buying sachet water now if you don't get what is going on this is the representation farmers are buying sachet water to mix their chemicals. The water that runs in the streams around the communities and in the various ponds, even in the rainy season, where it is raining so very often, is not deemed clean enough to be used to mix chemicals. They need to buy sachet water for that. Please get that, and that's the representation of what is going on. We'll tell you what the Ghana Water Company is telling us about the level or the turbidity of the water and how they have told us even before now that you may not, you may be buying water that they have to import. Do you want to get there? Think about what action you can take yourself. Um, so this morning we'll be speaking to uh, the minister.
uh, for Lands and Natural Resources and MP for Damongo, uh, Samuel Abujinapo. Uh, we'll also have Dr. Henry Kwabina Kokofu, who is Executive Director, Environmental Protection Agency, that's the EPA, uh, Environmental Scientist, Natural Resource Expert, uh, that's who he is, and he's also a lawyer. Uh, let's find out how much of uh, all of these expertise he is putting into uh, the use of the states uh, to stop uh, this galamsey. Uh, here in the studio is Inusa Fuseni, a former minister, lands and natural resources. He's also a lawyer. He's told us stories, you remember, right here on this show um, some years ago, and now uh, also retelling those stories about the, the risk, even in being a minister that is supposed to check what is going on, the risk, the risk um, to it. Also, we have engineer Clifford uh, Braima, who is managing director, Ghana Water Company Limited. We have Fifi Boafo, head of public affairs, Ghana Cocoa Board. And they will tell you the heart-wrenching story about what is being done to our cocoa. They have actually done... Um, you know, some investigation and gathered report which uh, Bloomberg and other international uh, uh, bodies are using to tell the world about what is happening to our cocoa if we don't take care. They are trying to do their best, but let's see how much they are overcoming. Dr. Jesse Aivo, a senior research fellow, Institute for Environmental, Environment and Sanitation Studies, University of Ghana, and member, University of York, UK, and University of Ghana research team who are investigating uh, these issues of Galamse. Kwame Sapong, a CEDU DND fellow on public health and CDD Ghana. He's a pharmacist, he's a member of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society of Great Britain, uh, Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana, and the Institute of Pharmacy Management International. We'll be telling you about what the doctors are telling us now which was obvious. He had spoken to us years ago and told us about the dangers that the cyanide that is going into the, and the chemicals that is being pumped into the water and even on the land will kill us. Now we are being told of how exactly, directly, the chemicals are beginning to kill Ghanaians. Dr. Solomon Owusu is a mining consultant. He's in Colorado, USA. He's a campaigner, a very vociferous advocate against what is going on, including his own, you know, hometown where the, the river is completely polluted uh, in a manner that he didn't see when he was leaving the country for the United uh, States of America. Francis Opoku is Director of Finance and Communications, Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners. What have they also been doing wrong or right? even as a, at a time when government is trying uh, to win the Galamseyes off and for the small-scale miners to do what is right. Maybe government needs to go back to the decision of a ban. Is that where we have to get to now? All right. Now, let's uh, welcome you all, gentlemen, on, the, on uh, Zoom and on phone and also Inusa Fuseni right here in the studio. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. Great. Um, so I 
don't have Kukufu yet. I wanted to start with him. But uh, let's go to Clifford Brimer, Dr. Clifford Brimer. Uh, thank you very much for making time to join us. Um, you were with us some time ago, and you told us about, you know, what to expect. Um, are you surprised that in spite of the measures that government rolled out, we are still seeing the threat to our water bodies and the water that you must treat for us to drink. Thank you very much, uh, Samson. Uh, if you are dealing with the human beings, there are measures that you put in based on certain factors that you consider. But implementing such policies, you realize that you did not think of them broadly enough. And so there's the need for you to go back to the table, really look at uh, the decisions that came into all the assumptions that came into your, your, your decision. Uh, Galamse, uh, people are looking for livelihood. And NGOs will say that there is unemployment. And for that matter, people must get some resources. But we are also guarded by rules and regulations. And that no citizen can move in and do anything because we all belong to the country. Mm. The freedom for you to throw your hand surely will end where my nose is. Because if you hit my nose, it's an assault. So another thing begins. And for that matter, citizens, everybody must come together for us to get this thing working. Do citizens believe that the activities they do around our water bodies have direct implications on their survival? Mm. That's a question we need to ask ourselves. If they do not believe in it, what they will do is to always look around how to escape, how to find another way of outwitting the law enforcement agencies. For us in Ghana Water Company, we take advantage of the resource itself to produce water for citizens. But we do not have the, 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 the role or the power to monitor the, the, the water bodies. It is Water Resources Commission. Right. In all these activities that we are carrying out, at what position have we placed Water Resources Commission? Have you gone to Water Resources Commission to look at even the offices they work in? And I think that for us to be able to uh, fight this menace, water resources must be strengthened adequately to give them the necessary power to do what they have to do and then resource them adequately. If you look at Minerals Commission, they give licenses to uh, 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 miners, they go to EPA, they give them approval. Why don't they get to water resources to say that, look, where you are allocated to them is within our buffer. Why have they been left out in the, the, the approval processes? If we don't get them involved, we are going to have challenges. And I think that this Galamsev uh, 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 menace, we must expand it. Because if you really want to get our water bodies, it must be comprehensive. Mm. If you go to Tamale, Dawuni, it is not Galamsev. It is San Wini. And it is they are polluting the water seriously. 
Okay, so your proposal immediately, I can hear from you, one important proposal you think will work is that if that is not the case presently, Water Resources Commission must play a role or actually be the one to, you know, give a go-ahead that this area you can, you can mine or not mine. Exactly. Because they protect the water bodies and Ghana Water Company Limited gives to water resources abstraction fees. What it means is that the state is telling Ghana Water Company that the resource from which you are taking your raw water to treat for citizens is not yours. And that is why there's a fee we pay on a monthly basis to the person who regulates the use of the water. Mm. So why would people come working around that uh, resource and the people who regulate its use are not being involved? Okay. And so we need to do that. And right. it has to coordinate beyond mm. Galamse and look at other activities. If you go to the Densu, wager, it is not Galamse, uh, 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 right. but the water there is polluted. So le let me share this with you and then get you to tell us what the implications really are. Um, in 2019, at the height of the, uh, I mean in 2017, at the height of the Galamse situation, the turbidity of water in the Birim River was about 11,000 NTU as against uh, what we're told was a massively improved level of 50 uh, NTU. Then, in 2019, the situation, as we, we got to know, was that the treatment plants in Konongo, Chebi, Bonsu, you just mentioned a while ago, and, and Yinem, which were among those heavily affected, were all back in operation because you had been able to uh, do some work to ensure that they could get back. Then, before the 2020 elections, the Bonsu water treatment plant was shut down intermittently over high levels of raw uh, water turbidity. Um, again, the turbidity was as high as 8,000 NTU as compared to the normal, which is expected at about 3,000 NTU, indicated by yourself, the Ghana Water uh, Company. Um, what, what, what does this imply in terms of your cost? among other activities, to get water for us? And the implications are uh, probably in three folds. One, we will have to use more chemicals to be able to get the sediments out of the water to get the clean water to your home. That's one. And so cost has risen. Two, the water that is supposed to come to your home it's going to be reduced because now the process loss has increased. What it means is that if you have a hundred liters of water that you process under normal circumstance, the process loss should be five percent. And so five liters will be thrown back into waste, and then ninety-five will be sent into consumers. Let's assume each person is taking one liter. So you have ninety-five people to serve. If you go to Odasso now, specifically, we do 50% process loss. And so from this 95% that we're supposed to have, we are having only 50 liters to send. So instead of seven ninety-five people, you can only serve adequately 50 people. 
So, so if you have a population of 95, you are seven, whether you like it or not, if everybody's demand in a day is one liter, you won't have to shut some people and then the other people can get, else people will not get water. So what it means is that our cost will increase. And since we do not have the capacity to, tra to transfer or move the cost back onto our consumers on our own, we will be shortchanged because instead of asking 95 people to pay, you are now asking 50 people to pay at the same rates. But if we were a private entity, of course, uh, we are now going to spread the cost of the 95 people onto the 50 people. But we do not have the capacity to do that because there's a regulator hmm. that will determine after you had gotten the expenditure. Then you will now look at the previous years, how your expenditure went. Then in subsequent years, they said, okay, we are going to review it. So at any given time, you are behind your, 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 your expenditure. And so you continue to make losses whether you like it or not, or you make sure you, sorry, you continue to have deficits in your, in your operations. Uh, what, what does the future look like for what you're doing? And you have been asking, you don't even get, um, what? The last time you were asking for some increment to help you cushion your cost. How much were you giving? Far less than what you required. Um, what does the future look like uh, particularly about what you told us, you know, years ago about the fact that if we don't take action collectively, we will come to a point where we have to import water. What does the future look like? Uh, for now, we haven't gotten to that very critical stage. If we take action now, water will clean itself. If we take action today, in a few months, few years to come, we see the turbidity coming down. But what we need to do, fortunately for us, we have the scientists on this platform today. What we need to do is that the climate change experts must factor some of these things into their research and not to be looking at the climate factors that bring flooding and other things. For us here, it's evaporation. Because mm. we are cutting down our trees and allowing our surfaces to be uh, the evaporation to increase. And so if you go to the north, some of the tributaries of our rivers are dying. They are dying because, one, we are creating sediments into the reservoirs, and for that matter, increasing the surface area. And because of the climate change, the evaporation is increasing. And yeah. so if we don't stop the activities of people salting our rivers, including the Galamse, which is more serious, mm. we will have problem. But for now, I can tell you we haven't gotten to that very critical stage yet. It's just that once in a while, Ghana Water Company will have to shut their plants if the turbidity gets to a level because our pumps are not wastewater pumps. Our pumps do not are not manufactured to carry grit our, or grit water. Our water, sorry, our machines are supposed to carry surface clean Portable water, mm. and that is what we will have to. Uh, okay. Now, before I now, go I to, to before I go to Fifi Buafo to you know bring us up to speed on the threat to our cocoa sector, um, I like you. I realize that you actually don't want us to limit the discussion as far as it affects the activities that affect the water bodies and water uh, to only Galamse. You talk about sun winning 
And I understand also that you are concerned about fecal matter being dumped into some of the, you know, water bodies that you, we, you need to treat for us. How, how is that thinkable, that people would dump fecal matter into where it's, it's not approved? And that's where the sociologists will come in. Because uh, they, they, I keep, sometimes uh, when I was in academia, you ask your students what they think is the cost of a, somebody from a community moving to a toilet that has been provided for the community. But instead of getting into the, the, the facility, they rather do the thing outside the facility. What engineering, what calculations, what can you do about this? These are purely social issues that people will have to wear. Uh, well, what's, what's, what's wrong with us? But, but, Doc, where exactly are these happening? Have you spotted them? And what are the steps that, you know, I have to be taking? Because you have, you have a duty as leaders. Exactly. Uh, we, if you go to Ouija, that is in an urban setting of Accra. If you go to Ouija and look at the quality of the raw water in Ouija, you see it to be greenish. What it means is that uh, organic material is being pushed into it. And one major organic material that is pushing is people's uh, fecal matter. And so you will have to ask yourself why people who build around things, first and foremost, is this even illegal for people to build there. But they are there and they are discharging their waste from the households into the water. And it creates a lot of problems. Wager two years ago, last year, we were using 200 bags of aluminum sulfate to, to do our flocculation and the coagulation. Today, we are using 300 bags. And so you, 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 you can see there's no mining there, but it's increasing our cost. And for that matter, we need to really look at all these things instead of just focusing on that spot called Galamsey and look at how we protect our water bodies in totality. So for me, the future is still not very threatened as much, but we will get there if we don't take the actions today. Mm. If you go to Tamale, the water body there is coming from uh, Nawuni, the white volta. The sun winners, they have the gust to carry stones into the river such that they would be able to move on the stones as bridge to the other side to get sand. And in doing that, they diverted the water away from our headworks. How do you, how do you think about this? That people who, after getting their money, they know they works, they want to go to the house and have a shower running, and then they go, when the shower is not even right there, the very people who cry foul that Ghana Water Company is not performing. So these are things that we need to bring together and make sure that water resources is really put at the center of some of these things to protect our water bodies for us. Okay, thank you very much uh, for sharing with us um, extensively um, what is going on and to bring us to a point where we can all begin to appreciate what it is that we must do, else this is the trouble uh, that we are looking to. Uh, now, Fifi Bwapo, thank you so very much. Now, we, we, we understand 
that the economic implications beyond the water getting polluted, the fiscal things that are happening, we understand there is such an impact on cocoa production in Ghana. According to the Bloomberg, and uh, I watched you on uh, PM Express, that Blue, you said Bloomberg was actually using statistics that you have uh, done. Uh, that's a good job. Now, more than 19,000 hectares of cocoa plantations have been destroyed by Galamse operators. More than 19,000 hectares. And you say that that figure would even be more by now. Now, cocoa output has slumped by 34% in the first six months of 2022 compared to last year. And we're told Ghana is unlikely to meet its initial cocoa output of 850,000 tons this year. Tell us, what's going on? Well, uh, thanks for the opportunity, Samson. The, The challenge we face is huge. It's huge because the statistics you put out it's a clear demonstration that uh, we risk losing that important industry which the country has relied on over the years. And indeed, uh, I speak to you from Takwa this morning. I got here yesterday, and some friends I engaged yesterday in the evening said, well, Phoebe, I know somebody who has bought a cocoa farm just two days ago, and then they are converting that cocoa farm into illegal mining. So clearly, on daily basis, you have these people taking over cocoa farms and then using the land for illegal mining. So if the figure you saw, or the figure we've given to the public, is figure from the beginning of the year. And indeed, let me say, that figure is from two cocoa regions. Meaning, if we do an extensive work, the figure will be more frightening than what we see today. It, I'm sure uh, we all paid attention to the documentary uh, from the Ashanti region, which uh, your reporter brought. There are instances where the farmers are resistant, making sure that they do not give their cocoa farms out, because paying to a farmer 10,000, 25,000 Ghana cities to take over the cocoa farm, how sustainable is that? It is not sustainable. So most of the farmers are very much aware of the consequences of that decision. So the farmers are resistant. But you have instances where the farmers are compelled and they are helpless. Some traditional authorities, what they do is that when these illegal miners, and in some instances, small-scale miners who have been issued licenses by the Minerals Commission, when they go there, the traditional authorities willingly give out the farm and say that, well, we are the traditional authorities, we give the land to you, for which reason you have to leave. Unfortunately, most of these cocoa farmers are migrant farmers who have moved from different parts of the country to where they are presently settled. They are not the real owners of the land. But of course, they have an arrangement put in place to have their cocoa farm on that piece of land. They are compelled to give the land, and they struggle to be able to fight these traditional authorities. Of course, at present, what we are doing is that our legal team is available to help such farmers who are going through that difficulty. But to what extent can we be able to fight all such instances across the country. Apart from that, I mentioned this on uh, your morning show two days ago. Farmers now have to carry water from home to the farm. 
before they are able to uh, mix their fungicides and pesticides to spray their cocoa farms because the water bodies within the farming community, they are not good enough for them to spray. So cost of operation for the cocoa farming is high now. And then a farmer who is already uh, not having enough from his activity now has to spend more because what they do is that they have, they have these tricycles to take the uh, water from home to the cocoa farm before they are able to spray. Another challenge we've seen is that, of course, with uh, illegal mining going on, the forest is gone, and then it's having impact on the climate. Hitherto, there were seasons where you know very well that you'll be able to have the rainfall, and as such, you are able to apply your fertilizers and other things. The rainfall pattern has changed now, so predicting when to even apply the fertilizer is becoming a problem. And then the time the cocoa is supposed to flower, it does not flower at that point in time. So it's also even affecting pre-harvest activities. So it is not just the cocoa not coming in, but even the activities and the cost involved is even high at this point in time. Right. So hmm. I can see, as you say, you, you've, even though from what I know, by your work, you are not supposed to be physically part of those who are policing the process, but you find yourself this morning um, at a location where you have to do some sort of police activity. Um, how much collaboration are you doing with you know, the police, the army, I mean state security to ensure that this this doesn't go on because look we simply can't afford it like you just mentioned yes uh, before i even talk about the security agencies the minerals commission is one of the state institutions we are collaborating with in order to help deal with the problem because uh, the minerals commission gave our licenses to small-scale miners who take over these cocoa farms and the compensation they pay for a cocoa tree is actually 20 Ghana cities for a cocoa tree, which the farmer can act, can rely on for many years. We believe that just paying 20 cities for use rights is not enough. So we are presently working on a law that will ensure that if you have to clear a cocoa farm and use the place as a small-scale mining site, you must pay more and not just 20 cities to encourage them to do so. Apart from that, Cocoa Board has now done polygon maps of almost all cocoa farms with the exception of Western North where the team is presently. We want to we are engaging Minerals Commission to ensure that it should not be that easy for someone to just issue license for someone to go into a cocoa farm and then convert into a small scale mining site because it is not helping us. But our collaboration with the security agencies, yes we've engaged them. It's it has not given us the needed results, uh, I, I must admit. It has not given us the needed result, but we are still collaborating, we are still engaging them because we believe it is the way to go. If we do not get their full support and collaboration, we cannot fight it. Because just like the farmer said, at a point they are unable to even assess their cocoa farm because the road to the farm has been blocked. Hmm. And in some instances, what they do is that if they find a farmer who is resistant and they are able to convince a farmer who has his farm closer to such a farm, they take that farm, mine there, and then they push their tailings into that cocoa farm. 
And when the tailings are pushed into that cocoa farm, the chemicals affect the fertility of that land. And when the fertility of the land has been affected, the farmer is compelled because he cannot rely on the farm anymore, except to just give out the farm or just even leave. Mm. I remember there was an instance where we went to the eastern region. There was this particular, I, I, I will share the footage with you. You could see the cocoa tree standing there. And almost behind, under the cocoa tree, there are big holes dug all over the farm. So the trees are just standing there. It is because the farmer is resistant. The farmer says, I'm not prepared to give up the farm. And that's what they do at night. And this is not just happening in western region. It's happening in western north, mm. Shanti region, eastern region, central region, which either two was not the case. Now we are experiencing that. And it is all over the place. Fifi, the, the global initiative against transnational organized crime tell us that we have uh, 200,000 people who are engaged in Galamse uh, and nearly 3 million, you know, uh, people rely on Galamse for their livelihood. Uh, the point I'm getting to is that you mentioned, you know, non-Ghanaians, foreigners, and their involvement. We have seen many times how too many Chinese nationals are arrested. According to the 2021 Population and Housing Census, um, we have people from ECOWAS countries who are here, we have uh, 270,000 of them. People from Asia, we have 11,000 uh, of them. People from other parts of Africa, we have 6,000. From Europe, we have 3,000. From uh, North America and South, we have 2,000, almost about 3,000 of them. And then from uh, Oceanian, you know, uh, we have 169. If you look at the figures, those from Asia, a whopping 11,000. Is there any targeted activity to particularly the Chinese nationals? Because we know now, as a matter of fact, that they are the ones behind the Shanfans, these heavy equipment, they are mostly behind the um, excavators, of course, with their Ghanaian collaborators. Is, is that a path you have thought about to collaborate with uh, security over this issue? Well, uh, uh, it's important because I was citing an example of someone telling me about buying a cuckoo farm and then wanting to use it for small-scale mining or legal mining. The person actually went further to say that, you know what, I do not have the machines or the equipment to go into it. So immediately, uh, I'm looking for some Chinese to give this land to, for them to go into the uh, small-scale mining. So the involvement of the Chinese is huge. They are everywhere. <laughs> if you go to Wasekropon, for example, Wasekropon is basically part Ghanaian community, part Chinese community. They are everywhere. And the communities around you have these Chinese there. Yes, we are collaborating with the security agents. We are engaging them. But my frustration uh, is that it has not given us the needed result. It does not mean that we stop engaging, but the conversation will continue, and our expectation is that I think they will double up their uh, steps in, giving, in getting us some result because as things stand now, 
if there's no solution to the problem, definitely our cocoa farms will be gone. Mm. Someone loosely told me that almost every cocoa farm, there's this perception that there's gold there. And these persons who go into illegal mining and small-scale mining do not have the ge uh, geological evidence to back their exploration that, okay, indeed, there's, uh, there's gold there or not. So they sometimes go there, and in a matter of month or two, they are gone. They have very li uh, little gold from there, but the, the whole cocoa farm is lost. And the truth is, if you look at the people who are involved, even though we say that, yes, there's unemployment, people might find jobs. A cocoa farm may be serving a family of about eight, nine, and sometimes 15. If you give it out to these small-scale miners or to these illegal miners, maximum six months, the entire cocoa farm is gone. Mm. The family will be relying on this cocoa farm for 40, 50, 60, sometimes 70 years. Are we suggesting as a people that we prefer relying? Are we suggesting that we prefer just spending three months or six months to clear something which we could, as a people, rely on for 60, 70 years? I don't think that it solved the problem and it's a good substitute. All right. Um, thank you very much indeed. Uh, let's go to Dr. Henry Kwabena Kokofu. Executive Director, Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, um, who is also an environmental scientist, natural resource expert, and lawyer. Um, thank you for making time to join us this morning. Um, how does it feel sitting where you sit as the, you know, Executive Director of the Environmental Protection Agency to hear the stories we are told about how even forest reserves are being ripped and it doesn't appear that there is at least sufficient action to deter. How does it feel being the head of such, you know, an institution and these things going on uh, under your watch? Uh, good morning, um, Senior Council, and good morning to you all esteemed panelists, uh, to your viewers and listeners. Uh, indeed, I feel bad. Um, it's quite uncomfortable. And indeed, um, it symbolizes uh, system failure on our part as uh, a nation. And when I say system failure or systemic failure, I mean from far type of. Uh, we traversed this kind of um, journey uh, since some 20 years ago. And if I may even go further down, um, in 1933, the colonial masters banned small scale mining hmm. in uh, Prigan, that is the Gulf uh, by the passage of the Mercury Law, uh, the law that um, Restricted the use of uh, mercury as an amalgam in the processing of uh, uh, gold. At that time, it was called acetina small scale mining or acetina mining. It was banned at that time. 56 years on, 1989, 
under PNDC law 271, another law was passed to legalize the use of mercury and then also to bring to life uh, small-scale mining activities. Unfortunately, uh, having legalized small-scale mining and then also legalized the use of mercury as an amalgam, there was no matching legislation or regulations as to how small-scale mining uh, was to be operated. So you go to the minerals, um, the law that governs minerals exploitation in this country, you go to the Environmental Protection Agency, the law that governs Environmental Protection Agency, and indeed all you see or all you know from my end is uh, LI-1562, uh, Regulation 32, that simply says, just so simple, that all activities, mining activities, the operator requires to post um, reclamation bond. That's all. So you can see that the law expressly does not give the Environmental Protection Agency enough teeth to bite and then also to fully regulate the uh, industry. So, yes, I feel bad, uh, not because um, uh, myself and my entity does not know what to do or do not uh, actually have the men and women to undertake uh, that assignment, but the law does not fit so well with that. So, by and large, what we have been doing is to collaborate, uh, coordinate, and help the main uh, uh, institutions that have their regulatory responsibility to help keep uh, this menu. Uh, having said that, it is also not the case that uh, as Environmental Protection Agency, we haven't done anything uh, at all to help uh, try to stem the tide. Some uh, uh, council. You may uh, want to know that this issue we're talking about, we're dealing with, uh, stresses and goes far beyond uh, environmental governance to the point of socioeconomic and presently the political uh, dimensions that it has taken. And we do know also from natural resource uh, governance uh, systems, including literature, that resource allocation who gets hot and where and whom has always been a thorny issue all across the globe, particularly in developing countries that rely very much on natural resources exploitation for development and people's livelihood. To the extent that resource care that um, results in conflict have all emanated from some of the uh, seemingly dangerous uh, scenarios that we find. So it's an unfortunate situation, uh, but I think it is all is not lost. Um, the government has shown leadership. Um, it is up to us as the citizenry to also uh, give up what it is there. And here I must uh, commend the sector minister, uh, Honorable Jina, for having taken office and that the marching orders of the president are taking some initiatives. But then uh, I'm also quick to say 
that um, uh, we haven't gotten what we want and what citizenry expects of us. Doc, I hear you, you know, isolate, you know, lack of legislation um, as a major problem. Yeah. There, those who are mining lawfully are supposed to do reclamation, you said. Yes. From the aerial footages that we see, and even close footages that are done from most of these places, you see them, all they have done is dig their gold and go away. They They leave the place not reclaimed. Yeah. So that's not a matter of legislation. That's simply failure of leadership. You speak about a ban, even you know, pre-independence Ghana. Yeah. Are we are we there? Should there be an ultra ban to start with? Because we have lost control, if you like, of the situation. Um. Yeah. Let me take the first uh, uh, point. Um. You may you may also want to know that um, um, exploitation of gold or gold extraction has two phases, two major phases. We're talking about large-scale uh, gold mining, and then uh, in this particular instance, small-scale or medium-scale gold mining. The large-scale, to some large extent, is uh, well-coordinated and heavily regulated to the point that um, the reclamation uh, concept worked so well and it has achieved so much of success. Uh, 22 years ago, that is when the Allies came to the two of 1999 came to life, uh, right away the management of the reclamation bond has been quite efficient and it has been running and that is why we see so much sanity and discipline within the large scale century. Even at that point, my administration, through uh, the support of the sector minister, Dr. Kokwepi, have initiated moves to uh, sort of uh, review called 22 years of the legislature, uh, a law that has been working, definitely dynamic, and circumstances uh, have changed. So together with industry players, and here I'm talking about the large-scale mining companies, which mostly are multinational, and then the banks, the commercial banks that are intermediaries, uh, with whom the bonds are deposited in an escrow account, uh, you've been having rounds of discussion. Uh, recently, the Bank of Ghana is even being grown through. So we can, uh, as it were, review uh, for the better of the law. Now, coming to the small scale mining, for some odd reason, uh, 22 years ago, when the large scale was being uh, regulated under the pushing of reclamation bonds, the small scale mining were left out. On assumption to operate, uh, I detected this. I informed the sector minister, then was Professor Prepop Watson. So I was giving the uh, encouragement and others to initiate the move to get a small scale mining brought under that canopy. So it informed 
the reclamation bond can form a very useful tool uh, in the quest to uh, formalize and regulate the sector. So we did all that and we're working on. The, the, the succeeding minister has also been very supportive and we've gotten it all arranged and all that. I may even want to say that uh, this year, the uh, last, the Auditor General's report captured My, my final question to you will be that uh, Dr. Clifford Brahima of the yeah. Ghana Water Company is uh, making a proposal that um, yeah. when you are giving people permits, is it yeah. possible to work with the water resources to ensure that uh, the places they are going to mine, they are not endangering our water resources? Because now that is coming at a cost and uh, threatening, you know, our water. Yes, um, the, the, the point is, uh, there has always been a coordination. You see, we are not the major permitting uh, institution. Minerals Commission is, and to the larger extent. If this is what your coordination has what, produced, then you have failed. What, what What is happening is, we do, we do, as a matter of uh, uh, principle or matter of uh, duty, to uh, look at environmentally sensitive uh, uh, situations within the enclave. There are times we have refused uh, uh, environmental permits due to the proximity of the location to um, uh, water bodies. And the Water Resource uh, Commission has in its own right to also uh, look at that. But then the problem here, Sam, is that you will be confronted with the, with the request where the location is not within 100 or 200 meters of a water body. And then you permit it. The person goes on the ground and decides to move to another location closer to the water where they think they can find a boat. So the, the people are being touting, oh, I'm, I have permits. Oh, I'm a small scale miner, fully permitted, and I, I, I am legally working. You can be legally permitted, but your operations on the ground may constitute an illegality. That is where we are not looking at critically. So um, I agree, we are all, all in it together. Uh, I take his uh, suggestion in good faith. Um, we are on the verge of calling for, with this bond, we are calling all these stakeholder institutions together before we roll it out uh, at the end of October. And at that point, you will be able to also get into the law that and see how it works. We are also asking that a reverse of the whole permitting process uh, 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 is repeated, where and no objection must be obtained from forensic 
uh, sorry, from uh, Environmental Protection Agency as a first instance before Minerals Commission goes ahead to process. In this case, it is currently, it is not the case. Processing and everything of the documentation will go ahead and then uh, uh, environmental uh, uh, permit will be stopped at the tail end of it. does not work properly. It must start with EPA and end with EPA. With that, we can fully assume the regulatory uh, mechanism so far as environmental protection and safeguarding is concerned. Okay, thank you for your time. We understand that uh, you have to leave us now. Thank you for your time. Um, <laughs> We we hope that you we hope that you do a lot more because um, the the outcome on the ground yeah. uh, doesn't reflect yeah. you know as much what you yeah. you suggest you are doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I get your point. Uh, yeah. Until we er eradicate the cancer, you cannot uh, say you are proceeding. Yes. So my my it's, next point, I mm. may have to appear. Okay. Uh, on the show, and then we deliberate fully, and then try to support the support of the entire nation, including you, the media. I know you have been partners all along, but all right. the time you need, you move. So okay. Thank you very much for the platform. Th thank you for your time, uh, Dr. Henry um, Kwabna Kukufu, Executive Director of the uh, Forestry Commission. Um, for joining us, uh, the director of the Environmental Protection Agency (EPA), um, I I I have to come to uh, Honourable Minister Fusaini now. We thank you so much. You made time. You drove into our studios here this morning, and we want to benefit from, you know, what you saw at first hand. You have been part of the processes when uh, the the government called for you know, a stakeholders, you know, meeting, so to speak, uh, to begin to fashion ways of uh, stopping this. But please pardon me. Let me go to uh, Yao. Uh, let me go to Kwame Sapungesiedu now. And uh, please hold on, all of you guys on the, on the, on the line, Dr. Solomon Owusu, um, also uh, Francis Opoku, um, as well as uh, Dr. Jesse um, Aivo, please just hold on for us. Now, Doc, we 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 were told this week by the Confanochi Teaching Hospital that from the reports they are receiving and the people they are treating, Galamse is killing us. You spoke about this to us uh, a couple of years ago. Well, what what do you say? What do you think? I, I don't know what to think. Um, <laughs> if I were to speak in my own self, <laughs> you wouldn't like me this morning. Yes, let's hear you. I'm sorry. Um, I, I did put on my Facebook wall today that I was in a state of stoic anger. And the more I've listened to this, the more my anger has increased. I am because... Normally, when one makes a prediction as a scientist and it comes true, you want to say, I told you so. But as a drug analyst and a quality control person, when you make a prediction, you don't want it to come true because you are involved in quality control and quality assurance. So you are supposed to help break the trajectory 
to ensure that your predictions don't come true. Because your predictions are premised on if this doesn't stop, this is where it's going to go. And therefore, you are expecting that it would stop so that your prediction doesn't come true. So when I start seeing the health implications manifest in only three years after I wrote the article and spoke to you, I worry. And I'll tell you why. Um, Dr. Ayibo is on the program, and we've got um, Solomon as well, who are scientists who don't know this. The chemicals used in mining are called heavy metals. And they are called heavy metals for a reason. They are called heavy metals for three reasons. First, because naturally, when you use them even on the surface of a soil, by virtue of their weight, they seep into the water table. Second, they are very difficult to get rid of. And thirdly, when they get into the human body, the organs that are supposed to get rid of them are not structured to eliminate them like normal minerals that they are daily used to, and therefore they injure them. So when someone is dealing with heavy metals, you can safely say that the impact health-wise is going to be between 5 and 15 years at least because and that is even on the basis and i'm quite sure solomon would speak about that a lot on the basis of reclamation and also restitution of the environmental damage none of which is happening as we speak now so i see this happening in three years and happening people getting renal failure in their 40s this is worrying and i'll tell you why again for some reason we are created with two kidneys but we only need one so by and large, a lot of people function to the end of their life using just one kidney. We are finding ourselves with people who are virtually not really their fifth decade, getting both kidneys lost. That is not normal. Your kidney functions typically like your car, a brand new car with a spare tire. There's no way all four tires would blow up and therefore you need the fit. And that is why even new design cars come with much smaller spare tires because if a puncture comes, you can use that auxiliary until you've repaired the original one and continue. That's how our kidney works. That's how our liver works. It has a regenerating ability. We're losing that and we're killing ourselves. And so when you ask me how I feel, I feel angry. I feel disappointed. I feel we are a people who deliberately sought out to damage ourselves. We're dealing with something that is destroying our finances. We heard from the cocoa board. It's destroying our education because these heavy metals affect the mental acuity of children when it gets into them before the age of three, and it affects their educational attainment. It's affecting our agriculture and aquaculture. Now we farm fish just to eat. You go to most of these catfish joints and the fish are farmed. They are not coming from our rivers. It's affecting our legal system because we don't even know which is the truth regarding Aisha Wan. We don't know whether she eloped to marry. We don't know whether she sneaked. We don't know whether she was deported. We don't know whether she was expatriated. So we cannot even trust our attorney general 
and our prosecution process as though they are telling us the truth. And you are a lawyer. Prosecution has to carry the citizens along because justice must be seen to be done. It must not only be done, but it must be seen to be done. So justice justice is actually dispensed on behalf of the citizens. The people who yes, sit okay. in the courtrooms as judges are not sitting there because they by themselves are there. They are there because we, the people, actually put them there to dispense it on our behalf. Um, Doc, I, I suppose we, we are better off not talking about all of this, you know, confusion. And uh, I, I just have to regulate myself. So let's talk about yes. what is happening to us and what we can do. Okay, so, so I've talked about the mistrust in the justice system. Then finally, it is affecting our security apparatus. Health, which I believe in, is a public service good. It underpins the security of any human resource. And if you look at all health literature, there's a direct correlation between life expectancy, educational attainment, and the gross domestic product of a society. So when you get your able humans dying within 40 and 50 years because of a practice that you could regulate, and you find yourself in the constant perpetual motion of training, because what happens is you don't get people going to the retirement age, becoming senior citizens, doing knowledge transfer, you are killing your human resource, but also killing your ability for transformational development. Which human society would do this to themselves? And as a son of a forester and an environmentalist, I have occasion to ask myself, my dad is 86 years old now. When they were running the environmental fortunes of this country, if they had behaved in the way that was behaved, my grandfather was a sanitation inspector. In his time, the stories he told us, you could not do this in your water bodies. You could not put sewage and effluent into water. They were called tankers, town councils. They'll come and arrest you. But at that time, we were far less literate than we are now. Today, all of us speaking have villages and towns in Ghana. But we cannot even impact on them and leverage them to stop killing themselves. We see what's happening in the living. Mm. We see what's happening when you drive Fifi Bwafu a while ago was telling us, you know, what was happening. You see what's... What, can you see that on your screens? Yes, I can. The cocoa farms. Yes. Because somebody refuses to sell their cocoa farms cheap, somebody yes. says they have purchase something and they see what they were they are doing to the cocoa farms uh doc hold on and and let me uh, uh dr solomon also what you are seeing i know you have been focused on the water pollution particularly uh, the specific rivers that have you know turned into mud uh, the water that have turned clearly into mud um wh what do you say dr solomon also Please unmute your mic. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Samson. And let me use this opportunity to extend my regards to your cherished viewers and listeners. Um, it's sad to see things like this because Ghana is not the only country 
that we mine gold or we mine minerals. Even in the United States, where I am right now, we mine gold. And United States is the third leading um, gold production country in the world. Ghana is like eighth or ninth or so. So let's ask ourselves whether um, we mine haphazardly that way in other parts of the world. We all understand that the continuous global demand for minerals, particularly, you know, precious minerals like uh, gold, has made mining a lucrative business and is creating millions of employment for people. Notwithstanding, we can't allow such impunity to go on. Now, if we talk about the mining cycle, the large-scale mining company, when Dr. Kokofu was speaking, he talked about the legitimate conventional large-scale mining and then the small-scale mining. He made some comparisons. But I don't want to go into politics today because of the rules you know, of the game today. But what I can say is, in the typical mining cycle, you start from uh, one stage to another. It's like a sequence. You start from acquisition of the concession, then the proper permitting follows. After that, then we go to exploration. If we waffle, touch on it, but let me give some details here. Exploration is where you do some work to understand the mineral, to understand the geology. Then you can make a plan. After the exploration, you go to pre-feasibility studies, and feasibility studies to look at the viability of the uh, concession, whether you can get enough gold, I mean, in this case, gold from the ground to make profit and also, you know, get investors happy. After the exploration and the feasibility study, that's where we go to development, we put construction in place, development, and then we go to mining processing. Mining processing is where we get returns. That is the production stage. Then after the production, you do reclamation. Now, mining companies like Gophers, Anglo Gold, Newmont, and all that, they go through these processes. But the small-scale miners and the illegal miners, you know, People are focusing on only illegal miners. What about the small-scale miners who have acquired license from the Minerals Commission who don't also do the right thing? Let's look at that. Now, the small-scale miners, they don't spend money. If you look at the mining cycle from the concession acquisition all the way to you know, reclamation, you spend money. The only period that you get returns is the production stage. That is the mining and processing to get the actual goals. Because of the expenditure and these small-scale miners and the illegal miners are not enforced to do the right thing, they only gather the concession. Even the small-scale miners, they get a concession from the chiefs and then they do the permitting from the Minerals Commission, EPA, Forestry Commission, and all that, after that, they go straight to mining. They don't do exploration. 
So they mine haphazardly. If they go and mine here and they don't get the gold, they leave it. They go to another spot, they leave it. They go to another spot. So that's why you see a lot of holes everywhere. But the conventional large-scale mining, you know, mining is capital-intensive. So they spend money to do proper investigations to know or understand the deposit before they put the money. After that, after the production, they don't do reclamation. Unlike the large-scale companies that do reclamation. That's the difference. And if you come to the illegal miners, they don't even acquire the land because they are illegal. They don't register the land. They don't do anything. They just find a place, find a spot. They start mining. And if they don't get the money, they leave it. If they get the money, they spend it. They don't do reclamation. So the question is, what is the government doing to streamline the activities of the illegal miners and the small scale, the licensing small scale miners? Both of them, they pollute water bodies and degrade lands, both of them. It's not their fault because the methodology that they are using, unlike the conventional large scale mining, they pollute water bodies and degrade their land. Not on their fault because the government doesn't have standard operating procedures for them to follow. That is the problem. People don't know. Because if they have standard operating procedures, why are they still polluting the water bodies and degrading the lands? Mm -hmm. And if they are following any standard operating procedure, why is the government not monitoring to ensure that the right thing is done? These are some of is the it, is it not the case, uh, Solomon, is it not the case that the government is simply overwhelmed? Um, it, don't, aren't we aware of Operation Halls, the first phase, the second phase, the, the, the things that are being done, uh, creating alternative livelihoods? Uh, first of all, there was a ban, and then later... Uh, there was a lifting of the ban in a certain gradual manner. There were uh, streamlining of those who, you know, needed to regularize their processes. Um, is, that, is that not what a government should be doing? Uh, thank you, uh, Samson. You know, the government is trying. In fact, let me commend President Nana Abdankwe Kufwa. You know, I've been criticizing him. But if you look at uh, this fourth republic, the president that has been bold, step up and fight Galamsey is Nana Abudankwa Ekufwa. I'll commend him today on your, your big platform. However, if you give, if you are a president, you give responsibility some, uh, uh, to some people and you are not getting the expected results, what do you do? It started from my own friend, Honorable John Pitamewu. He started very well, and he came to my man, Professor Frimpon Watin, to Asuma Treme, to Abu Jinapo. They are all using the same approach. Using the military approach will not solve the problem. They need technical inputs, and after getting the technical input to ensure that right standard operating procedures have been developed for them to follow, then monitoring 
and law enforcement follows. But using the military to get rid of the illegal miners, what about the licensed small-scale miners who are also polluting the you know, water bodies and degrading us? So something, to answer your question, the approach that they are using is totally wrong. You need technical input. I'll, I'll, I'll just give a, a brief here. I'm not going to do that because I may not sell my intellectual uh, capabilities for free. What the government needs to do here, one, and these things I've been telling George Mlekuduka, honorable, he's my good friend, but there are some powers above him that may be, you know, anyway, let's put that one aside. I don't want to go into politics. Today. One, there should be proper land acquisition and registration process. And that process should be short. It shouldn't be a very long bureaucratic processes that will let the miners wait for a long time. And because they are waiting for a long time, they go in there and do their own things. There should be a simple, short, but effective process. That is what the government needs to look for. That's number one. Number two. They should decentralize the permitting process. Now everything is Accra. What about somebody who is in Elubo? He needs the permit to mine legitimately if standard operating procedures are put in place. Why should the person travel all the way to Accra? Is Accra the only place that we can get license? They should set, uh, decentralize it to the local districts and municipal assemblies <laughs> so that they can get easy access way then you go to the development of standard operation uh, procedure that i've talked about that is technical purely technical then the establishment of mining regulations proper mining regulations to follow after that then corruption free tax collection system now as i'm talking to you now the small scale miners don't pay taxes so at the end of the day, if they pay taxes, we can use part of their taxes to do all these things that you know I'm talking about. Monitoring and law enforcement, indiscriminate law enforcement. Now, you arrest Chinese guys, you leave them because of the benefits. You, I, um, I think you, you still remember the question that I asked. Mr. Okay, Dr. Solomon, Usu, thank you very much. Um, we, we need to take a break here. We would um, come back and hear from um, Iruna, Haruna uh, Inusafuseni, and then we have Dr. Ivo, um, also uh, Ivo, also on the line. And then, uh, of course, uh, we have uh, Kwame and the rest of you, uh, Francis Opoku, you are with a small-scale miners, and you have also been you are also being accused. We will also get, you know, final inputs from all our, our guests uh, this morning. Uh, we 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 have chosen a sort of a deliberate path that, you know, we need to do the right things. And if you like, as for the the shambolic approach as far as the prosecution and all of these things are concerned you know the better we we focus on something else the better uh, the <laughs> earlier we focus on something else um, the better 
We will be right back. This is Newsfile. It's your most authoritative news analysis platform. And here on Newsfile, we put Ghana first. And uh, we began by speaking with uh, Augustine Bois, who is the Adum FM's correspondent in Western North. He told us the stories about that place. Francis Opoku is Director of Finance and Communications, Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners. He is on. He will join us. Uh, Dr. Solomon Owusu, you just heard a, a while ago, is a mining consultant. He's in Cor Colorado in the USA, but very present in Ghana with his advocacy, very consistent. Um, Kwame Sapong, CEDU, is D&D Fellow on Public Health at CDD Ghana, pharmacist, member of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society of Great Britain, Pharmaceutical Society of Ghana and Institute of Pharmacy uh, Management International. Uh, Dr. Solomon Wusu, if you remember him, he appears to be the one who uh, asked questions of uh, that led to the revelation uh, that somebody was being left off because Ashawan was being left off because uh, there was economic benefit in leaving her. The president regretted that later uh, and these days we have been told one story after the other, you, you listen and you just cringe. You ask yourself, what is it? People don't know what they are doing in leadership or what. Uh, Dr. Jesse Yivo, uh, uh, a senior research fellow, Institute for Environment and Sanitation Studies, University of Ghana, and member, University of York, UK, University of Ghana research team. Uh, Fifi Buafo, head of public affairs, Ghana Cocoa Board, and we also spoke to uh, engineer Dr. Clifford Brimer, Managing Director, Ghana Water Company Limited. He's also still with us. Um, Inus of Saini, a member of, um, former member of parliament and former minister of lands and natural resources. He's a lawyer. He's here in the studios with us. Dr. Henry Kwabinakukufu is Executive Director, Environmental Protection Agency. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.